So I went to Mali. <laughs> um, I think for me it would be easier to just kind of run through the story of the journey to going to Mali. I mean, being in Mali and then what we decided to present as a sort of like representation of our trip there. Um, we chose Mali. Why well, I chose Mali as a destination because they have the photography Bainale there, and um, it's I guess I think every two years like the the biggest African photography Bainale happens in Mali. And unfortunately, I couldn't be, be there in December when it launches or when it starts. And we came in January at the tail end of it when a lot of the key work was sort of taken away or maybe seen out of context. Um, but it was the Basically, I, there were about nine venues around the city that were hosting public exhibitions. Um, so when we arrived, our host um, sort of set us up and told us that you know we can freely move around. But the expectation on his part was to participate in um, our, our residency physically at the space there. And the expectation was to some, in some way to participate in the festivals that they were committed to. Um, one being the Favia Festival, which was like a public arts festival uh, in, um, in, the, in the district we were living in, which is like in a public park, and the Segu Festival, which is outside of Bamako. So what we did in our first week or two was, at least for myself, um, try his way of working. And I spent time with um, the young artists that they had. They were doing a video photography exhibition on peace as a theme. And they, the running theme for them was peace. Um, so they invited a couple of young artists to uh, spend four days working on something that they would then exhibit on the fifth or sixth day in a public, in a public space. Um, the problem was, I guess, the language barrier. I chose to help with the video editing because it's the most I could do. Um, and I could bring technical skills, my laptop, and help make the films that they had filmed and put together. So I spent maybe four or five days just editing in a language I didn't entirely understand which was really hard, but we were able to put together a film that was basically, I mean, if I, the, the long and short of it was a young lady is sitting on a chair mining some stones. She gets up to pick up another stone and a man comes and sits in her chair and then they fight over the chair. And then another woman comes in, brokers the fight and gets them to, 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 not, to agree not to fight. And that was the gist of the film. And they exhibited this and a, a number of other pieces in like a public park. And my problem, I guess not my problem, my initial concerns about it were, you know, I guess we talked about public art and as an engine to communicate anything. And um, I guess some of the issues were they sort of like showed the pictures in tents, but with none of the context to the photographs. Um, one lady had a really great exhibition that was augmented reality, so you had to point your camera at the photo she took and it would activate a, um, a video. But in order to do that, you'd have to know that you had to download a specific app and that information wasn't there. So a lot of the work sort of got lost in trying, just lost in how it was delivered. Um, and then even with the video, this sort of like, after 10 o'clock, they just put a projector on and just sort of like blast a video to a, a crowd of people and it's just like back-to-back -back films and then the festival's over. And I kind of felt that the artists were shortchanged in some way um, and that the petition for peace was sort of made to this random broad audience. So that was like our first week and our first interaction with um, our host and I immediately felt a sense of like 
frustration with the language barrier, trying to like work with the artists and have this authentic, you know, connection with them. So instead, I sort of broke away from the group and started walking. And the reason I chose walking is, I guess, the taxis in the city, even though they're not that expensive, you kind of have to know where you're going. And I didn't know where I was going, so I just went on really long walks around the city. And in doing so, I found a lot of really sort of like, I found the other side of town. We were actually, we didn't know we were living in the rich side of town. So it's not until I went on a long walk that I kind of got the sense of the disparity between how wealthy our area was and how, I guess, the, the rest of Bamako lives and the rest of Bamako is. Um, and fortunately, also, you got to see how people celebrate, how people spend their spare time. Um, and I was overwhelmed by the trash that's everywhere. I mean, because the city is flat, they don't have the advantage that we have in Uganda because we're in hills. We can hide our trash in the valleys. Um, but And when the rain comes, it just like washes it down into the valley. So n- no one sees how trashy the place is. But like the whole city is covered in trash. And this was the kind of the beginning of like I guess a, a hypocritical juxtaposition about like how can you be so fashionable and so prayerful around all this trash like what's the value of all the fashion and all expression of like prayer and whatever when there's all this trash next to you um, but I realized that that's the same thing here and the same thing in many places in the world um, But that's something I kind of, when I came back, I I realized was probably more an unfair comparison. Um, So then in the next couple of weeks, they asked us to continue with the theme of peace, working towards the Segu Festival, which was happening a little further out. And in doing so, I was sort of frustrated that these old men were fixated on peace as a theme. Um, And it seems kind of befitting that in the tail end of your life, you start to think about peace. Um, and so I kept thinking about what is the value of petitioning for peace um, to to the I guess civil to, to the what's the best word civilian audience like what's the value of petitioning to peace to, to civilians and what power do civilians have to, in any way to like recognize peace and so I started digging into the story of what actual conflict exists in Mali and I think there's like two main tiers of conflict in Mali. The, the one is a tribal conflict between two main tribes that are pastoralists versus, I guess, agriculturists. And it's the same old sort of like, you know, you fight for land and access to the resources. And then the other is um, the most important part, why France is in Mali, is that the Sahel is like stretches from the west coast of Africa all the way to Chad and Cameroon. And that that. I guess belt alone has more wealth than the world can consume. They could actually power the world a hundred times over with solar energy and they have gold and phosphates and iron ore and everything anyone could ever want for the next hundreds of years. So the reason why France is so invested is that it's really valuable to them. And I find that this comparison is something we find on the continent a lot where, you know, in Burundi you can bury 6,000 people in a mass grave and no one will care because Burundi hasn't got anything of value but you know Mali has a crap load of value and the whole of the Sahel has a crap load of value so the western world is taking a keen interest in protecting it and so this sort of led a journey into my experience with conflict and I had a trip in Somalia 
had a trip in Somalia where the US government had taken me there to film a project where they were creating entrepreneur programs for young, for young people. And they were hoping that in giving young people uh, entrepreneur classes and startup capital to start a shop, that they will give them the alternative option to joining ISIL and Al-Shabaab. Um, they're hoping that entrepreneurship is a way to give you a sense of purpose as opposed to sort of like being a floating, I guess, individual and being purposeless as a young person. And so like the train of thought for me sort of started burying into like reading about how 65% of Mali is under 25 years of age. And what do you do with like that many young people when you have no jobs, you have no real form of education for them? Um, I think you or someone else was telling me about how a lot of people just kind of like breed and have children and send them to the mosque and have like the mosque, have had the mosque then sends those kids out to beg in the street and like fund, um, fund whatever the hell they fund. So it's this sort of sense of like this perpetual problem of having purposeless young people. And so I know that in the time that I've worked as a documentary photographer, the soldiers that I've met have all been like 19, 20, um, sort of really not in any way attached to whatever reason they're fighting, but it's a job and it's a reason to be up in the morning and it's something to do. And so when they brought up the theme of peace again, I wanted to approach it from the perspective of um, conflict and soldiers and the resources that, that fuel conflict. And so the first the second workshop was asking us to focus on painting and I knew I wasn't going to pick up paint, it's not really my form, so I decided to um, pick up digital painting. A charity had brought her Wacom pen, so I was like, I should, try and, I should try and do digital painting. And so I made a... I made a drawing, but I'll talk about what informed the drawing as well beforehand. So we went to the museum in our first week or so, um, and in the museum you sort of get to see the history of Mali. Mali as an empire was obviously quite significant and has a, a rich history um, and a rich sort of like, I guess, I don't know, like a heritage of like information and knowledge that's been maintained over, over the years and hasn't entirely been wiped away by colonialism. And one of the things I learned about was the, um, there's an initiation ceremony into manhood that's six stages. And each six stages, each of the stages takes about two years. And the initial stage is called the entomo. And the entomo stage is when young men first ap approach the, like the beginning of pursuing manhood. And they sort of like build their mask. And in the time that they build their mask, they go through classes and initiation ceremonies that, that eventually lead to the nest mask and to the nest mask and to the nest mask. And in each stage, they teach you how to like, you know, how to treat people in society, how to be towards women and all these kind of things. And so I drew this... Um, cartoon, specifically cartoon, because I wanted to do a comic book of what, um, I guess, what a, what would happen to a young soldier today, because well, none of them are going through this initiation ceremony anymore. They're all sort of immediately getting into uh, conflict and getting, and becoming soldiers, if you're lucky enough to get a job as a soldier. So I wanted to sort of tell a story um, of a young soldier, because I was dreaming about it, um, that pretty much has to do his initiation through, um, through, I guess, serving in the military. Um, so the seven head, the seven headed, um, or the seven hand, is actually the mask in Tomo, 
and is the, init is the initial stage of the initiation into manhood. And then the other ideograms like liberty and things like that are hidden in there. The Somalian ideograms are hidden in there. But at the same time, the uniform, I specifically put the Total logo on it and put the European laurels because I believe some of the symbolism of I sent some of Europe, I mean, A, the financing of weaponry and the financing of, of conflict is usually, you know, by the French companies and the French government. That's where the ammunition comes from, where the uniform comes from. In fact, if anything, one of the, one of, and I'm jumping back and forth, but one of the most interesting things that happened to us in our first week is that we asked everybody where their soldiers were. Like, I think we were walking around Mali and being like, well, what's going on? Like, where, where are all your soldiers? And because we come from Uganda where they're like everywhere all the time it was sort of hard to be in a space where there wasn't military presence around you. Um, and then we saw a woman yelling at a police officer and we were just like, just what, how? <laughs> this is not possible anywhere in the world. Um, so these sort of like um, barriers that we have towards soldiers um, were important to me. Like, why do I feel so like intimidated by them? And, and here it's sort of like, it's it's, it's just not an issue for them. They, they, don't, they don't see their soldiers. And around that time, about 200 soldiers had been killed, 200 Malian soldiers had been killed um, two weeks into my journey in uh, the Sahel, or fighting ISIL. And when I read about that, I also read that the French soldiers that had died, about six of them, had had their pictures pasted all over like Paris, and people were like, l like putting laurels at the, at the floor. And that led me to think about how we don't count our dead, especially when it comes to the soldiers. Like they are these sort of like forgotten faces in society, at like, and even the cost of or the value of their lives is kind of like pushed away. And at most, you get a burial where you know someone puts a Malian flag over your coffin, and you get an unmarked, unmarked grave in the middle of nowhere. And so. This led to you know me having to talk about I guess why you have to hide their faces, and I asked someone if I could actually meet a soldier that's been in the, like that's been in the paramilitary forces that are dying right now, and somebody arranged for me to meet one, and he agreed to take me around. So he took me on a bike ride around the city, and then we went to a photo studio and took a photo. Um, that for me was specifically addressing how I believe my response to the peace theme ooh, look at that yeah, my response to the peace theme was going to be approached I, I i i felt in response to like if what we, if we had to submit anything which we eventually were asked not to um if we were to submit anything to the theme of peace i would like to use some of the structures of conflict to communicate that and address the very structures of conflict so um having a soldier in a moment of prayer for me was um sort of speaking to the inner peace that has to sort of happen before there's another peace outside of that and then even then so the luxury of prayer for a soldier would suggest that there is a moment of peace it made me think about a story I heard about um, the conflict in Somalia where um, the only time the fighting stopped was when the plane was r r arriving from Kenya with the cut so when the plane arrives from Kenya with a cut Everyone stops fighting, they go pick up their cut, they chew together, and then as soon as the plane leaves, they start killing each other right after. 
So I was like, okay, so there has to be a place where you broke a piece collectively where we all agree. Um, yeah, a place where we basically all agree that, you know, we can <coughs> now be at peace. So I guess these two images are sort of like a journey to how AI could hide the identity of a soldier. Like if we were to recognize the death of soldiers in, on this continent, how would we put them in society and how would we protect them? The soldier I met specifically asked me to hide his face as well because he said that his family would be in immediate danger if he was recognized. And he said anything like his rings or his hands, anything that was recognizable had to be erased. So the, the, the photo I ended up with, even though this isn't it, um, it's pretty much a, a combination of those conversations, if that makes any sense. I mean, for me, the most of Mali was a combination of A, trying to approach the theme of peace, um, and also try to conceptualize an idea and tell it in one photograph. As my work goes as an editorial photographer, a lot of times you get one great photograph that's going to be the lead image and then you can have the serial images to kind of go alongside your story. So I've sort of been trained to rely on one photograph to be the strongest thing to tell your story. And when I visited the Bainali and whatever images are left, I know that we're right now in this phase of photography and art photography where they like to see work in series. And I don't really like to build series of the same story. I, I do actually appreciate being able to communicate your idea with one image. So um, the challenge for me was, could I take this image beyond into a series of work? And I just couldn't see a reason to personally. I felt like the image I came up with in the end that I exhibited was a sufficient sort of like um, extension of my ideas as a whole. And it's pretty much a praying soldier, but in a, maybe a more focused, focused image.